Tonight we begin a reading of the passion of our Lord Jesus Christ that is drawn from the four Gospels. Tonight we focus on the Lord's Supper. You know that after two days is the feast of the Passover, and the Son of Man will be given over to be crucified. Now the feast of unleavened bread, also called the Passover, drew near. And the chief priests and the scribes sought how, to, how they might kill him. And they assembled with the elders of the people in the palace of the high priest, who was called Caiaphas. And they consulted how they might take Jesus craftily and put him, put him to death. But they said, not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar among the people. Then Satan entered into Judas, surnamed Iscariot, one of the twelve. And he went his way to the chief priests and captains and spoke together with them how he might betray Jesus to them. And they were glad to hear him. And he said to them, What will you give me to betray him to you? And they promised to give Judas money and agreed with him for thirty pieces of silver. And Judas accepted. And from that time he sought opportunity to betray him in the absence of the multitude. Then came the first day of unleavened bread when they sacrificed the Passover lamb. Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover, that we may eat it. And they said to him, Where do you want us to prepare it? And Jesus said to them, Go into the city, and when you have entered the city, watch for a man bearing a pitcher of water. When he meets you, follow him into the house where he enters. And you shall say to the man who lives there, The master says to you, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house. Where is the guest chamber where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room, furnished and prepared. There make ready for us. And the disciples did as Jesus directed. They came into the city and they found it as he had told them. And they made ready the Passover. When the hour was come, Jesus sat down and the apostles with him. And as they were eating, he said, I have longed to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall not eat of it until it is is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Truly I say to you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it with you in the kingdom of my Father. Now there was also strife among them as to which of them should be accounted the greatest. And he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and they that exercise authority over them are called benefactors. It shall not be so among you. He that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he that is the chief, as he that serves. For who is greater, he that sits at the table or he that serves? Is it not he that sits at the table? But I am among you as a servant." You are they who have continued with me in my temptations. I appoint you to a kingdom as my father has appointed me. 
You shall eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Jesus knew that his hour was come to depart from the world and to go to the Father. And having loved his own who are in the world, he loved them to the finish. Already Satan had put in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus knew that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God. And so he rose from supper, laid aside his garments and girded himself with a towel. And he poured water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. And when he came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, What I'm doing to you do not... You do not know now, but after these things you will understand. And Peter said to him, Well, then you shall never wash my feet. But Jesus answered, If if I do not wash you, you have no part with me. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not just my feet, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, He who has been bathed does not need to wash more than his feet, for he is clean altogether. You are clean, but not all of you. He knew who was to betray him, and that is why he said not everyone was clean. So after he had washed their feet and taken his garments and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me the Master and the Lord, and that is good that you say this, for so I am. If I, then your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. I have done this to show you the way to do as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his Lord, neither is he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If you know these things, happy are you if you do them. I do not speak of you all. I know whom I have chosen. The scripture must be fulfilled. He that eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Already now I tell you of this before it happens, so that when it does happen, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives anyone whom I shall send receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. When Jesus had said these things, his spirit was in turmoil. He bore witness and said, Truly, truly, I say to you that one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, dumbfounded about whom he spoke. And one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was leaning on Jesus' bosom. And Simon Peter said to him, Ask, ask who it is of whom he is speaking. That disciple who was reclining on Jesus' chest said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus then answered, It is the one to whom I shall give the piece of bread after I have dipped it. And he dipped the piece of bread he had in his hand and gave it to Judas, son of Simon Iscariot. And after the piece of bread had been dipped, Satan entered into that one. And Jesus said to him, What you're doing, do quickly. No one at the table knew what the purpose was of what Jesus had said to him. Because Judas kept the money bag, some thought Jesus had told him to buy what was needed for the feast or to give something to the poor. When that man had received the piece of bread, he went out immediately, and it was night. And when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and in him God is glorified. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify him in himself, and straightway he will glorify him. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, 
Where I'm going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. For this I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, Where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but afterwards you will follow me. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Lord Jesus Christ, we are so thankful that you are patient with us. For there are so many reasons why you could be impatient with us. For we sin against you daily in our thoughts, words, and deeds. We say and do things that are hurtful, not only to others, but also hurt your reputation. And yet, O Lord, you patiently live by our side. You patiently continue to work in our lives through your word, forming and shaping us into the people we are in you. Thank you for sending your Holy Spirit into our lives, that third person of the Holy Trinity, the one that we so often forget, but the one who is so active in our lives through your word and sacraments. May your Holy Spirit indeed mold and shape us and massage in us a patience that flows from your patience for us. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Well, the text for this evening's message is from Matthew chapter 26, beginning at verse 36. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground, and he prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And then he returned to his disciples, and he found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And he went away a second time and he prayed. My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. And so he left them, and he went away once more, and he prayed the third time, saying the same thing. And then Jesus returned to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go, for here comes my betrayer. This is our text. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, our suffering servant, dear fellow believers in him. The fruit of the Spirit that we focus our minds and attention on tonight is the fruit of patience. Macrothemia is the Greek. It actually can be translated slow to anger, being long-tempered, or in the King James way, long-suffering. That's patience, macrothemia. So picture in your mind a person who has severely hurt or harmed you, 
by a mean action or a mean word. And they've given you every reason as to why it is that you should lash out at them, why you should punish them, why you should seek revenge. But instead you are macrothemia. You're patient. That means you're slow to anger. You're long-suffering. In fact, you are patient. You're slow to anger. You're long-suffering because you're waiting for them to see the error of their ways and for that person to apologize, to repent, to seek God's forgiveness. Not surprisingly, macrothemia is a word that is used to describe God and his relationship with his rebellious people. The Israelites had tried the Lord's patience. I mean, the Lord had delivered the people from slavery in Egypt through miraculous intervention. And they had witnessed these miracles personally. And yet we're told in the book of Exodus that the people of Israel grumbled about not having enough water. They complained about not having enough to, to eat. Some even longed for the good old days of slavery. They longed to be back in Egypt. If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt, they, they whined. At least there we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But now you've brought us up out into the desert to starve us to death. To make matters even worse, the people of Israel not only whined and moaned about their situation, but even after they had seen all of these miracles of God, even after Moses had given them the Ten Commandments that God had given to him, they formed a golden calf and they began to worship this calf this man-made God. The Lord had every right, didn't he, to bring down fire and brimstone on these rebellious people. But instead, God says to Moses, I am the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, patient, long-suffering, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love, to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he who does not leave the guilty unpunished, he punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. God is patient with his people. He relents of his anger. And why? Because he gives his people an opportunity to repent and to turn to him before his wrath comes upon his people. Being patient, as God is, doesn't mean that his wrath is displaced or nullified. But being patient and long-suffering with his people means that he is restraining that wrath that will come upon an unrepentant people. And he's restraining his wrath so that they will see the error of their ways. They will repent of their sins and they will ask for his forgiveness. Really, the biblical narrative is a story of God's patience with his rebellious and obstinate people. About 700 years after the time of Moses, the people of God were still rebelling against him, 
And through the prophet Joel, God says, Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate. He is slow to anger. He's patient. He's long-suffering. And he abounds in love. And he relents from sending calamity. Through the prophet Joel, God was once again saying to his rebellious people, I'm going to give you time to recognize your sin. I'm going to give you time so that you will repent of your sin and turn to me for forgiveness. Rend your heart, he says, not your garments. Return to me, he says, because he is gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in love. Really a very beautiful example of God's patience in the New Testament is the parable of the prodigal son. You know that parable where the son, the youngest son, comes to his father and he says, Father, give me my inheritance. Which is more or less saying to the father, I wish you were dead. Just give me the money that is rightfully mine. And then the prodigal son goes out and he squanders that inheritance on wild and wicked living. Knowing that he, all the time that he's hurting his father. And yet, what is the father's reaction? The father is macrothemia. He is patient. He is long-suffering. He is longing for his son, his youngest son, to see the error of his ways. He's longing for his youngest son to repent of his sin and to come back. He's looking forward, he's looking forward and hopeful that his son will come back and receive the love of his father. And isn't that what we see in that parable? The young lad wakes up to the reality of his sin and he comes back to his loving father who runs out to meet him and wraps his arms around him and receives him once again as a son in his family and has a party because this son who was once dead is now alive. Some people sometimes wonder why it is that God has taken so long to return again in glory. Like, why doesn't he just come and end it all? Well, the Bible tells us that one of the reasons why God has not yet returned or why Jesus has not returned in his glory is because he is patient. Listen to these words from 2 Peter. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. No, he is patient. Macrothemia with you not wanting anyone to perish. He wants everyone to come to repentance. See, the Lord holds out. He is long-suffering. He holds out so that He gives people a chance in their lives to repent of all of their sin. And even to this day, the Lord continues to hold back His judgment day so that more and more people can come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. He sends out His messengers, God does, into the four corners of the earth to proclaim that Jesus is Lord and Savior. And He holds back the winds of destruction as it's described in Revelation chapter 7. He holds back those winds of destruction so that more and more people can come to know Jesus as their Savior and believe in Him. Patient. God's patience is personified in the passion of Jesus. I mean, we saw it even in our text. 
I mean, I can only imagine the life that Jesus lived as, as the Savior of the world, the kind of indignities that he faced in his life. And yet, what does he pray in that prayer? He's wrestling with his Father, and he says, Thy will be done. If I was in his shoes, I might have grown a little impatient with my father. Why, Lord, do I need to go through all of these troubles and trials and tribulations? Why do I have to put up with these dense disciples that don't seem to understand anything? Why do I have to put up with someone who's going to betray me? Why do I have to face the hatred and enmity of people for whom I've come to save? And yet, ultimately, he patiently says, Father, your will be done. Yes, he even shows some patience with Peter, James, and John in our text too, doesn't he? I mean, here he took his three best friends, if you will, up onto this mountain with him. And all he asked them to do was to watch and pray while he went off into the other part of the garden to talk with his father. And each time he came back, what did he find? He found his disciples sleeping. And yet he patiently scolds them. He says... Guys, why couldn't you stay awake? But please come with me. He was patient with Judas. Even as Judas came to betray him, Jesus greeted him with a kiss. He was patient with Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin. As they mocked and ridiculed him, he simply stood there and patiently took it in when he could have called down fire and brimstone on Caiaphas and and his cohorts. He was patient when the soldiers beat him again and again and taunted him and twisted the crown of thorns into his head. He was patient with those thieves that hung on the cross who taunted him and finally as the day wore on he even forgave one of them and told him that he would be in paradise with him. I mean as we stop and think about Jesus and his ministry here on earth can we really think of a more gracious and compassionate and slow to anger and abounding love person than Jesus? Now, Jesus is the personification of patience. And we're the benefactors. We're the benefactors. I mean, have we not given Jesus all kinds of reason to punish us, to scold us, to send us away, to say, I never knew you? I mean, are we really that much different than the Israelites? Do we not find ourselves groaning, complaining, disobeying, maybe even becoming a little impatient with God when he doesn't answer the prayers the way we want. And yet Jesus patiently ministers to us. Jesus patiently puts up with our shortcomings. He patiently reminds us that he forgives us of all of our sins. And he sends the Holy Spirit to continue to work in our lives so that we might grow in patience. St. Paul writes, Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of all sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Yes, we may be the chief of all sinners, 
But Jesus, in his patience for us, has forgiven us and continues to forgive us of our sins because he shed his blood for each and every one of us. And his patience, his immense patience, Paul says, is an example for you and me to imitate in our own lives. Maybe you're familiar with the parable of the unmerciful servant from Matthew 18. The context of Matthew 18 is where the whole situation takes place where a brother sins against another brother and Jesus kind of goes through the thing that if a brother sins against another brother, that means that you go and you tell their fault between each other and you try to work it out. And if it doesn't work out, then you take a second person with you. And if that person, if the person still doesn't repent, then you, then you tell it to the church. And after Jesus had said this to his disciples, Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. And then Jesus went on to tell the story of, of, a, of a king and a servant. This servant owed the king millions and millions of dollars. And so he heard that the king was going to actually take the servant's wife and kids and sell them into slavery in order to recoup some of the, of the money that this servant owed the king. And when this man heard it, when this servant heard it, he ran to the king and he, and he got down on his hands and knees and he says, be patient with me and I will pay back everything. And the parable, as Jesus tells it, is that the king not only is patient with this man, but he actually cancels the debt. He forgives the debt completely. Now, you would expect that a man who's been forgiven millions of dollars, who has just received the generosity of the king, who's, who's the benefactor of the king's patience, would now go out and be patient with someone who owed him money. But as Jesus goes on to tell the parable, no, this man who had just been forgiven a huge debt of money goes out and he intentionally finds someone who owes him about $10. And it says in the parable that he began to choke the man and say, give me back my money, you owe me $10. And the man that owed him those $10 said, Be patient with me, and I will pay you back. He almost mimicked the very words that were spoken by the first servant. But the man would not forgive. And the parable is told by Jesus that the man was then put in jail until he could pay the debt. Now, when the king heard that this servant was unwilling to forgive another man for his debt, he then called that servant back into his court and he said, I forgave you, but you haven't forgiven someone who owes you. And so he ordered the man be thrown in jail until he could pay the debt in full. And Jesus then finishes off the parable by saying, and this is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from the heart. You see, Jesus is patient with us. He forgives us a huge debt. He gives us an example by which we can then live our lives. And then, as this parable says, he expects us to live our lives like like we see him in relationship to us. And so we forgive as we have been forgiven. 
We love as he loves us. We're patient with others as he is patient with us. Maybe you've seen the button that some Christians wear. It has on it P-B-P-G-I-N-F-W-M-Y. It's an acronym for please be patient. God is not finished with me yet. It's a request for others to be patient with us as the Holy Spirit nurtures the fruits of the Spirit in us. You see, God is patient. We're not always patient. We're learning patience, aren't we? God is the example. He's the epitome of patience. We're still learning it day by day. We're completely reliant on the Holy Spirit to kind of massage patience in our heart. And the way that the Holy Spirit massages patience in our heart is by us placing ourselves in God's Word so that God's Spirit can work on our heart and make it more like His. It means placing ourselves intentionally into worship like this so the Spirit of the Lord can announce to us God's forgiveness. It means placing ourselves at the altar to receive the body and blood of Christ and to receive His forgiveness and so be strengthened in our faith that His Spirit is able to massage this patient, patience within us. Ephesians 4.2 says, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. And isn't that our prayer? God, Holy Spirit, make me more patient. Help me to be more like you. Help me to be like my Savior. Lord, I understand that sometimes my anger gets the better of me. Help me to be patient with those in those times. Lord, I realize that I get frustrated by events in my life, things that happen or things that don't happen, and I grow impatient. Please, Lord, forgive me and make me more patient. Lord, I realize that I fill my life so full that I'm running here and running there, and I grow impatient. Please, Lord, help me resort my life in a way that I'm not always running here and there and everywhere so that I can be a little bit more patient with other people. And Lord, I must confess, I even become impatient with you because of the tardiness of you that you have in terms of answering prayer. Please, Lord, give me that patience, that long-suffering, that willingness to bear with whatever it is that you have in store for me. Yes, Lord, make me more patient. Who is it in your life that you need to be patient with, long-suffering. Maybe it's someone at home. Maybe it's someone at work. Maybe it's that neighbor. This week, ask the Lord to fill your heart with patience. Focus your eyes on Christ. Focus your eyes on God, who is patient with you. And yes, pray, Lord, O Holy Spirit, may the patience of Christ live in me and may his patience be manifested in my life. Amen.